Welcome to the Deeper Dive Podcast, brought to you by the OC Church of Christ. Let's dive deep into God's Word, learning new insight and taking a fresh look at the verses that impact our daily lives. We will continue with our study of the Minor Prophets by studying out the book of Malachi. Here is John Oaks. We're going to do Malachi. All right. Oh, I love Malachi. Malachi is another very practical one. Not a huge amount of theology here. Kind of like Haggai. Not a massive amount of theology. More practical. Malachi. Covenant. Uh, Malachi and, and Zechariah are the two books in the Old Testament that kind of set up the New Testament. So they have specific kingdom and messianic prophecies that are kind of hints that the next thing next thing that happens is going to be huge so malachi as you know the last book in our old testament by the way malachi is not the last book in the jewish bible second chronicles is the last book in the jewish bible uh when jesus said from the blood of abel to the blood of zechariah He's talking about that Zechariah who's in 2 Chronicles chapter, I don't know, 16 or so. But I think, I don't know, just my personal opinion that God inspired the placing of Zechariah and Malachi at the end of the Old Testament. That's just my opinion. The theme of Malachi is hesed. The theme of Malachi is covenant faithfulness or even just covenant, if you will. The power of covenant, the power of faithful love. The message of Malachi is be faithful to God. Having faith in God is not enough. Now you might think having faith in God and being faithful to God are different things, but they're definitely not. In fact, Arguably, they're not even that close to the same thing. This word hesed, which is translated love, also mercy, loyalty, covenant, uh, covenant type love. Malachi's name means my messengers. Some people have speculated that there was no actual person named Malachi. I don't know if there was or wasn't. It doesn't really matter. Because Malachi means my messenger. Got it? Oh, I got to turn my Bible to Malachi. Yeah, I'm going to be reading it here. Okay, great. Through Malachi, my messenger. According to Jewish, well, I'll skip that. Uh, the date of Malachi is hard to tie down. There's not a lot of historical markers. I think we can assume that it's after the decree of Artaxerxes to rebuild Jerusalem. I think we can assume that. I, I, on the screen, it says between 458 and 432 BC, probably later rather than earlier. Most likely it occurs after Nehemiah and Ezra end. It doesn't really matter. But somewhere between 440 and 430 BC are a pretty good idea. 
Malachi is God's last word to the Jews. It's kind of like a capstone. It's kind of like Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It's a capstone to the message of the Old Testament and a final preparation for the ministry, not of Jesus, actually, but for the ministry of John the Baptist. And then, of course, of Jesus. The next word we will hear from God after Malachi 4, verse 10, I think it is, is repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So Malachi, this little book, uh, it plays a key role in the Bible. Again, like Haggai, not a lot of theology, a little bit James-like. In fact, like James, which is a diatribe, Malachi is a diatribe. A diatribe is a staged argument between one person and another person who's really not even there. It's a way to, to create an argument with uh, an opponent who's not defending themselves. All right, and so James, the book of James is a, is a diatribe against those who are saying we're saved by faith alone. All right, and um, Malachi is a diatribe between God and unfaithful Israel. So the, the background here, the earlier generation have repented. Remember back 525, 16 BC, they repented, they rebuilt the temple. And then later under the ministry of Ezra and Nehemiah, they rebuilt the city. But a new generation has come up and they're becoming cynical. They're questioning God because they're not receiving blessings. They assume that they should have blessing upon blessing. Why? Because they're God's chosen people. And God's got to bless his chosen people. All right? And they have great faith in God. Great faith that God can do amazing things for them. God promised through Zechariah and Haggai and uh, Ezra and others, that he would restore and rebuild his people. And yet nothing's been happening. And so they're getting cynical. And so they're saying, God, you're not keeping your end of the bargain. But let me tell you this. Brothers and sisters, God always keeps his end of the bargain. God is always faithful. God always exhibits a said. God always is faithful to his people. And if you charge him with not loving his people and not being faithful with the covenant, he ain't going to take that too well. He's going to get ticked at you. All right? That's kind of the background. So let's get into the book. We're not going to spend a lot of time in the intro because honestly, Malachi, in my opinion, doesn't need a whole lot of introduction. All right? Malachi 1, let me read verse 1 through 5. A prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through my messenger, Malachi. I've loved you, says the Lord. 
But you ask, have you loved me? See that diatribe? I loved you. What do you mean you loved us? Oh, yes, I have. Oh, no, you have not. Oh, yes, I have. And here's why. And what about you? Oh, it's that kind of thing, right? It's, it's a staged debate between God and unfaithful Israel. All right. Uh, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I've loved Jacob, but I, Esau I hated. I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackal. All right, which minor, were you paying attention? Which minor prophet wrote a, a prophecy against Edom? Hmm. Somebody go ahead and step in there. Which minor prophet prophesied against Edom, which had not been fulfilled until this time? Yes? Anybody? I'll give you a hint. It starts with O. Obadiah. All right, Obadiah. Good. Anyway, Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may be built, but I will, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Jacob, I loved. Esau, I hated. All right, here's another quiz. Where does that get quoted in the New Testament? And what's the context? The answer is Romans chapter 8, where Paul is talking to the Jews, and the Jews are saying, why is God blessing the Gentiles? Why is he giving salvation to the Gentiles. He's making it way too easy for the Gentiles to be saved. He's not being faithful to his covenant to us. All right. And so the context of Romans 8 and the context of Malachi 1 are similar. And that's why the verse gets used. He uses Esau and Edom as an example. Remember, the Edomites were the allies of Babylon. When Jerusalem was sacked in 597. And even during the Persian period, Edom continued to occupy parts of southern Judah. So that so the, basically the, the people were tempted to think God's blessing Edom instead of us. But basically God says, I don't worry, I'm going to take care of Edom in their time. But I'm telling you, I never stopped loving you. Jacob, I loved. God chose Jacob. And God is always faithful to his covenant. And I'm telling you, God chose you. And God chose me. Not all Israel is Israel, right? But those who have faith in Jesus. We are the true spiritual Israel. All right. So here's the outline of Malachi. First, God says, I have never stopped loving you. If, if you're not being blessed, it's not because I didn't love you. In fact, let's have a little discussion about why you're not being blessed. All right. We're good. That's we're going to have a discussion about that. OK. But God says, Jacob, I love. I have always been faithful to my covenant with you. Let's get that out on the table. Good. Part two, the priests have been unfaithful. 
chapter 1, verse 6, through chapter 2, verse 9. And then chapter 2, verse 10, through chapter 3, 18. The people have been unfaithful. And then last, chapter 4, 1 through 6. The day of the Lord is coming. John the Baptist is coming. Uh, get ready for the day of the Lord. All right, got it? Now, in context, who are the priests for us? The Christians. Who are the priests in the church? Well, last time I checked, 1 Peter 2, 5, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. All right, a holy priesthood. And, and God even prophesied, you'll be a nation of priests. Okay, Exodus 19.6, we are a kingdom of priests. So when God, when God goes after the priests in chapter 1.6, verse 2.9, he's going after you and me. And then when he goes after the people in 2.10-3.18, he's also going after you and me. So in, in, in the context, in the immediate context, he goes after the leaders first. And then the people who follow the leaders. Okay, great. But for us. It's all about us. The first section is about us and the section, second section about us. They're both about us. Okay, great. Let's read it. A son honors his father and a slave his master. If I'm a father, where's the honor due me? If I'm a master, where's the respect due me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name, but altered. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible when you offer blind animals for sacrifice. Is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? All right, great. So God says in the introduction, I still love you. I've kept my covenant with you. I've been faithful with you. People says, how have you loved us? They're cynical. God says, Jacob, I loved, Esau, I hated. Sets the tone for the book. It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. So God says to the priest, you show contempt. They're going, what's he talking about? Who are the priests? Are you kidding? You know, we're the leaders of the church. We're, you know, we've never shown contempt. Are you kidding? You know? <laughs> and I'm telling you, how we should condemn by placing defiled food on my altar. They're saying, what are you talking about? We've never put defiled food on. We have followed every law, every rule, right to a T. What are you talking about? Who, me? You know what they did? They gave God their second best. See the parallels here with, with Haggai? Don't you dare ever give God your leftovers. It says, try offering that to your boss. Imagine this. Imagine your friends invite you over for dinner. Just imagine. You walk in 
and they go into their refrigerator, they pull out the leftovers, put it in the microwave, and then put it on the table. How would you feel? Imagine that. Imagine somebody invites you over for dinner for a double date or something like that. You walk in, they pull the leftovers, like, you know, you see the picture, like a half-eaten turkey carcass. They put it in the microwave, they heat it up, and they put it on the table. And the question is, might we be doing the same thing? I remember once uh, we're having a, a Bible talk and we're doing a Bible talk on Malachi. And we asked the question, it's kind of fun. What's the worst present you ever got? And one of the visitors said her sister for Christmas gave her a used bottle of shampoo. What she'd done is she'd taken a bottle of shampoo that was like two thirds full, added water, mixed it, put the lid back on, put wrapping on it and gave it to her. All right. But again, the people are saying, we've never done that. And God says, oh, yes, you have. You put crippled or diseased animals on my altar. You gave me the second best. And, and it says in verse 9, well, let's have a discussion about this. You see the cartoon, are the leftovers fresh? <laughs> now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? I mean, would you give your leftovers to your boss? Would you come in drunk to work? You know, would, would you do that? No way, you get fired. It's kind of like, you know, when we do a, a, a food drive for the poor? I know about you. When we have a food drive for the poor, what I tend to do is I go into my pantry and I look for the stuff that I don't even want. You know what I'm saying? That's what I tend to do. And I'm not saying that's wrong or bad or even sinful. But nowadays, when we have a food drive, I don't do that. I've stopped doing that. What I do is I take stuff that I want. I take stuff that I'm planning on eating, that I'm gonna have to go out and replace it. Because seriously, if you give the stuff you don't even want to the poor, I don't, I don't know about that. Because Jesus said, what you give to the least of these disciples, you give to me. Many of us give more discipline and effort and heart to our job, to our vacation. We spend all year anticipating it for the months leading up to it. We're anticipating this vacation. We're planning it. We're thinking about it. We're dreaming about it. But we don't do the same thing about our Bible talk, about our worship, about our leadership meetings. What we become is a spoiled brat. We expect God to be faithful to us, but we've not been faithful to God. And what's the definition of being faithful to God? I'm preaching again, but that's because Malachi preaches. What can I say? How are we faithful to God? By loving him first, right? He, in, if you love them more than me, he says, you're not worthy of me. 
I've got a question for you. Is it better to give a little bit than to give nothing? The answer is, no, it's not. It's not better. It, you know, on Sunday morning, we don't probably even put money in the plate. We haven't done that forever. But I'm telling you, if you give the, the leftover money in your wallet, God says, keep that money in your wallet. Seriously? If it's not a sacrifice, don't even give it to me. I don't want, get that out of my face. Let's read to the end of chapter one. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. And you're giving me your second best. Let me just puke that right out of my mouth. Uh, in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord. When you bring an injured, lame, or diseased animal and offer them as a sacrifice, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I'm a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Now, isn't it only logical? Let's say we have a herd. We have, say, sheep or cows. And let's say one of them is sick or injured. Well, doesn't it make sense to kill that one in the sacrifice? Because that one's going to die anyway. So isn't it logical to sacrifice the injured animal? And God says to us, <laughs> I will accept no offering from your hands of that sort. Do me a favor. You know, don't bring that injured animal. Why is God so upset with half-hearted gifts? Because he has never, ever been half-hearted. What are God's most prized possessions? His son. And he sacrificed him. And the Holy Spirit. And he sent them to dwell in our relatively impure vessels. Don't ever give anything less then your best to God. That's the bottom line. Verse 13, they say, what a burden. Have you ever said to God, what a burden? Oh, special contribution. I've given special contribution 27 years in a row. Oh, no. Uh, oh, man. I'm tired of giving special contribution. You know what? I've been leading a Bible talk for six years in a row. I need a vacation. 
And by the way, there might be a time when you need a vacation for leading a Bible talk. That alone doesn't prove anything. All right. Let's let's get that on the table. But you know what? When you say what a burden, you're sniffing contemptuously. Oh, you know, that that church workshop in January. I church workshops. They're boring. Costs $80, you know? Well, you know what, then? Just stay at home. If that's your attitude, don't go to the marriage retreat. Seriously. Seriously, God is not honored. The bottom line is this. Our lives need to honor God. All right? Hey, John. If we give, yeah. Uh, Cece Bruce had a problem, a computer problem. She's in the waiting room. Can you admit her? Yes. Thank you. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt your flow. No, well, I got her. I think I just. Okay, good. All right. So to summarize chapter one, if you give half-hearted service like a blemish animal, God will call you a cheat. And don't you dare be in the place of being called a cheat by God. All right. If you give your second best, God calls you a cheat. God says, I am a king. And you better treat me like the king that I am. Amen? Okay, Malachi chapter 2, 1 through 9. That finishes up our first section. Actually, our second section, because chapter 1, 1 through 5 was the uh, God I still love you. So warnings for priests. Let me read 1 through 9. And now you priests, this warning is for you. And in Christianity, who are the priests? Well, in the context, I guess it's the leaders of God's people. But really, it's all God's people. And now you priest, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not re resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you. I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I'll rebuke your descendants. I will smear, listen to this. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, the innards, the the, the the intestines and the poop in the intestines. I'm going to smear that on your face because you've not honored me. That sounds radical. And you will know that I've sent you this warning so that my covenant with, with Levi make it. Do you notice that? Covenant. The theme of Malachi is covenant faithfulness. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me, and he stood in awe of my name, which they've not been doing. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. This is what the true priest should be doing. From the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. The messenger, he is the Malachi of the Lord Almighty. And people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and, and um, you, by, uh, by your teaching have caused people to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Malachi. There's that covenant again, with Levi. So I have caused you uh, to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways. 
but have shown partiality in matters of the law. So the leaders have not honored God. And because they have not, he's going to smear crapola in their face. All right. This is a, not a pretty picture. Um, he's allu alluding to the curses in, in Deuteronomy 28. God says, I've always kept the covenant, but you haven't. In verse five through nine, it says, you've not been teaching the truth. You've watered down the message. You've made it too easy. You've said peace, peace when there is no peace. Your lips should be preserving knowledge as God's leader. But you've turned from my way by teaching an easy kind of uh, uh, easy grace. To quote from a commentary by Tyndale on Malachi, right behavior on the part of the people of Israel in covenant relationship with Jehovah was dependent on sound priestly instruction of the Torah and the virtuous example of the priests as covenant keepers. So that's the message to God's leaders. Got it? Now, the second part of the third part of Malachi is warnings for the people. All right. I think I've covered that slide. So I can go to the next slide. So now the people have been unfaithful. Now, the famous part of Malachi is chapter three, but I'm going to read uh, Malachi 2, 10 through uh, the end of the chapter. Kind of, uh, kind of an introduction to the famous part of, of Malachi 3. Got it? All right, great. Uh, do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. So basically saying the priests have been unfaithful. Now he's saying the people, Judah, have been unfaithful. So he's changing the subject here. All right. Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary of the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because you, you no longer looks with favor on you. He's not been blessing you. You have faith that he can bless you, but you've not been faithful. And the reason he's not blessing you is not because he's not faithful, but because you're not faithful. You ask why? It is because the Lord is witnesses between you and the wife of your youth. You've been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard. And somewhere in here, he says, I hate divorce, but the, the NIV doesn't include that. I don't know why. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one who should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So here, God says, I hate divorce. So he uses divorce as a metaphor. And basically he's saying, because you've not been faithful to the covenant, it's like you've divorced me. And divorce is a sin. All right. So. 
That's what's going on there. Now, um, you've broken faith. It's about covenant. So he's, he's talking about the fact that you've kind of committed spiritual divorce with me as an analogy for breaking covenant with me. And in verse 17, it says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him? Again, this is back to that diatribe. By saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them, or where is God's justice? Now, this is a little tiny snippet of stuff we saw earlier in some of the books that Greg did, where um, especially, um, is it Nahum or Joel, where he's questioning God's justice. So one of the things that they're doing is they're questioning God's justice. And God's saying, I am a covenant, a God of covenant love. I always keep my covenant. So let's get to the famous part of Malachi chapter three, the part that is generally used in lots and lots of sermons. Okay, got it? So I'm going to read Malachi three, one through five. I will send my Malachi, right? My Malachi, my messenger who will prepare the way for me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So that's interesting. He's talking about Malachi, his messenger, but he's using Malachi as a kind of like a foreshadow for John the Baptist. But who can endure the day of his coming, who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord in the days gone by as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against who, those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows, the fatherless, deprive the foreigners among you of justice, who do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Uh, I will send my messenger. And uh, this is quoted in Matthew 11, 3 and 11, 10, John the Baptist. And what John the Baptist is going to do is going to call people back to repentance. The Lord you will seeking, he will come to his temple. The message of messenger of the covenant, the one you desire, the Messiah is coming. Are you sure you want God to come? The people are going to get what they're asking for. But when God comes on the day of judgment, it's not going to be a good thing. The day of the Lord. Okay, great. Now, let's read Malachi 3, 6 through 15. I, the Lord, do not change, right? I always keep my covenant. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. All right, that's how you know God's been faithful, because I haven't destroyed you. I've been merciful on you, despite your stubbornness and your half-hearted worship. So you're not destroyed so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But yes, how are we to return? 
will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Hey, can we get in, John? Sure. Sorry about that, my folks, my dad. Uh, the cameras, they don't see you, dad, so it's okay. And this is your house, <laughs> so you can do whatever you want, all right? Yes, as you know, I'm here taking care of my dad. So uh, dad gets precedence over our class. All right, so you have to get in there? Yeah. Great. So I'm going to keep going. I'm still, I'm still shouting. My, my dad's hearing aid isn't in, so I can shout all I want. It's okay. Great. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And tithes and offerings, you're under a curse because your whole nation, because you're robbing me, says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that will, there will not be room enough for, to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call to you, you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. You've spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain from carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. Even when they put God to the test, they will get away with it. So God says to them, return to me and I'll return to you. In other words, keep has said, keep the covenant. If you keep the covenant, I will keep the covenant. In fact, I've never stopped keeping the covenant. So here God's speaking to the people rather than the priest. So he keeps it simple. You know, the message is even simpler than it was in chapter one. God says, return to me. People said, who are you talking about? I go to church every week. I haven't skipped Bible talk. Well, well, there's that one time my kid had a soccer game. Oh, and there's that time, you know, we had a, a work party, and, you know, and the time that the that the uh, the guy came to work on our kitchen. But, you know, could you leave God and still be in church? Absolutely. He says, you've been robbing me. And they're saying, that is nonsense. I have not stolen anything from the temple. I've not absconded with church funds. What are you talking about? In tithes and offerings, you've been stingy. You've been stingy towards God. You're under a curse. Stinginess is unbelief. Got it, folks? Stinginess is unbelief. And he's not talking about money. He's using the example of money. But scripture is not about money. He's talking about stingy in your heart. Here's the key question in Malachi. Do you really in your heart of hearts believe that if you trust God, he will take care of you and bless you? That's it. 
That's the whole message of Malachi. Do you trust God? Do you believe that if you gave him everything and held nothing back at all, do you believe that he has your best at heart? The answer is, intellectually, we know he does, but we don't believe it. We don't really believe it. How do you know that? Because we don't act that way. That's the challenge of James and Malachi and Haggai. Because if you really believe God has your best at heart, then you will give him everything, including your heart. You'll hold back nothing. But you have been holding back. Let's be honest. Let's be honest about this. You've been holding back your time. You've been holding back your money. You've been holding back your emotions. You've been holding back whatever it is. I don't know. If 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 it fits, the shoe fits, wear it. If not, if you've been faithful, amen. I love this. God never tells us. In fact, doesn't the Bible say, don't test me? You know, Gideon, that don't don't do that fleece thing. That's a really bad thing. But God says, test me in this. You can put God to the test. Wait a minute. Jesus said to Satan, don't put the Lord to this. God says, test me in this. Trust me with all your heart. Trust me. Give me the full tithe. The tithe, not just of your money, but of your time and your love and your effort. There's people in your church that are wholehearted. Honestly, there probably aren't that many. But you know wholehearted people. Imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. Do you really believe that God will bless you? If you do, God says, I'm going to open up the floodgates. I'm going to open up the floodgates. Then you're going to drink and you're not going to be thirsty. You're going to eat food and you're not going to be hungry. You're going to put money in your pocket and there will still be money in your bank account at the end of the month. He says in verse 13, you said harsh things. They're saying, I've not said harsh things. I've only said things like praise the Lord and hallelujah and uh, all that kind of stuff. Oh, yes, you have. What have you said? You said it is futile. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's futile. You've stopped giving your whole heart. You've become a lukewarm Christian. First Timothy 6, 6 through 10, it says, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. I would say food, shelter, and clothing. I'm not, I can't really say I'm content with food, shelter, and clothing. I think I need a little bit more. All right, let's finish out Malachi. The day of the Lord. All right, Malachi 3, uh, 16 through 4, 6. 
Uh, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in the presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On that day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured people. I will spare them just as the father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. I will burn like a furnace. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. This is the day of the Lord, folks. All right. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his rays. You will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. You will trample on the wicked and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See how I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and I will strike the land with total destruction. So the day of the Lord is coming. The Elijah will come. And like Jesus said, the Elijah who was to come was John the Baptist. And the righteous will be blessed. The day of the Lord will be a day of disaster and a day of deliverance. Stubble, root, and branch, but deliverance by the son of righteousness, Jesus Christ. Remember my law, he says. Be ready. I'm going to send Elijah on that day, John the Baptist. Matthew 17, 11, to be sure, Elijah comes and will store all things. And the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Repent, return restore, rebuild. Thank you, John Oaks. And that concludes our study of the Minor Prophets. We want to thank you for listening to our Deeper Dive by the OC Church of Christ. If you want to get connected to us or want to donate to the program, go to our website, occhurchofchrist.com or contact us through social media at the OC Church. Join us next time for our next Deeper Dive.